I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're thrilled to welcome this week's guest to the show. In fact, I don't know if I've ever seen Frank more excited. They're musicians, arrangers, Grammy-winning record producers, and two of the most successful, admired, and influential songwriters of the 20th century or any century. Along with fellow producing and songwriting legend Lamont Dozier, uh, they're responsible for some of the most beloved songs of our lifetimes, including Where Did Our Love Go, Baby Love, Heat Wave, How Sweet It Is To Be Loved By You, Come See About Me, Stop In The Name Of Love, I hear a symphony. You can't hurry love. Baby, I need your love and Bernadette. Reach out, I'll be there. You keep me hanging on reflections. Uh, can I get a witness? A band of gold and the hits just keep coming, including 10 number one hits for the Supremes alone. In addition to penning, Unforgettable tunes for Motown icons, The Supremes, The Four Tops, The Temptations, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Marvin Gaye and Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Their songs have been recorded or covered by a who's who of popular music, including James Taylor, Phil Collins, The Who, Michael Jackson, Barbara Streisand, Rod Stewart, Linda Ronstadt, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and even the Beatles. They're members of the Songwriters Hall of Fame. They were awarded stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and they were quite deservedly inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Their terrific, best-selling new memoir is called Come and get these memories, and it will soon be released as an audiobook. Please welcome to the show two artists who helped shape the soundtrack of our lives and two talents sometimes referred to as America's Lennon and McCartney, Brian Holland and Eddie Holland. Wow, Frank. Wow, Frank, how you doing? Good job, man. <laughs> hey, like no, that's, that's not Frank, that's that's Gilbert. No, that's Frank talking. <laughs> no, no, Gilbert was doing all that talking. That was Gilbert, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Gilbert. Gilbert. I mean, my, I don't know who you're talking about. I I mean, I mean, you were you you were giving us so many accolades, I start to I start to stand up and clap for the people. I said, oh, he's talking about us. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome. Now that's Gilbert there, right here. Yeah. That's yeah. that's Gilbert. This is Frank's Frank over here. here. Frank, uh, Frank yeah. is in the blue shirt. The what? Yeah, no, Frank no, no, blue right. shirt. Just, I'm right, right, that's now. Frank there in the blue shirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you can you can thank me for the intro too, Eddie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's Gilbert. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell you. You know already. I'm gonna tell you. I'm telling you. Guys, thanks for time, taking the time to do this today. Okay, now, yeah. oh, you, now you, Gilbert? Yes, now what? I am. In oh, you, Gilbert, shirt. okay, good. Okay, in the and, blue shirt. In the okay. white shirt with the squares. Oh, okay, Gilbert. Okay, okay. 
But we we often portray each other. Okay, no problem. <laughs> but the way you the way you were talking and carry on, I thought we was gonna run for president. <laughs> <laughs> You got my vote, Brian. You got my vote. Maybe maybe we can hold cards of our names. <laughs> oh, no, I know, I know your name. First of all, it's right or there. I know his name. I got his name. Or name test. Gilbert. I got Gilbert. I got you in the blue shirt. Yeah. yeah. And what's that shirt say? What does that shirt yeah. say? Hey, Gilbert. What's that what, shirt he, say? Gil, uh, he wants to know what your shirt says. Oh, this is some comedy club. Oh, good. I, Which I, one? I get all my shirts for free. Oh, you know, Brian good. Gilbert loves a free shirt. I understand. <laughs> if, if, if you have any shirts, say <laughs> Well, unfortunately, at this point, we don't have one. I don't think. That, you know. <laughs> yeah. tell, tell us about music becoming a part of your lives in, in, in the first place, because it's, it's, it was a, a, a number of factors. It was the church choir. It was the piano that Brian snuck into the church to play. It was your Uncle James record collection. I mean, what, what you there, you guys always had music in your lives growing up. Always, always, always. I couldn't think of a day that has gone by that I didn't have music in my life. But, you know, growing up in Detroit, uh, it was a big music city anyway, you know, because, mm-hmm. like I said, as kids coming up, uh, Brian and I, you know, teenagers, uh our pastime was really having our little vocal groups together, you know, standing on the corners making harmony, often yeah. waking up the neighbors, sometimes having the neighbors to get out of their beds, chase you and chase you down the street because <laughs> you were making so much noise and they had to get up, especially the ones that had to get up and go to factory worker, the factory workers up like boards. They would jump up and man, we would be flying down the street and say, Edward, Brian. You guys can sing, but don't sing so loud. I don't know how he heard us all the way down the street. So we must have really been singing loud. <laughs> but that was a big part of our lives, you know, and, and going to, uh, you know, going to the theaters, and they, and they had a lot of shows, you know, where you, you know, you had the talent shows, you know. I didn't participate in any of those, but I would go and watch them. You know, matter of fact, that's when I first saw Ike and Tina Turner's one of those shows, you know. That's oh, at I, the movie theaters in yeah, Detroit. Yeah, they used to have them yeah. all over the theater, I mean, all over the city. Little Willie John, you saw too. Oh, oh man, little, 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 first of all, little Willie John, I went to school with him. Yeah. He was, he, he, mm-hmm. he, he was, yeah. he, he was tough. He, he was, he, he was kind of, he was kind of yeah. tough. Always could sing. Yeah. I mean, this guy was so, he was such a great singer, you know. And every time he would see me, if I would see him in a club somewhere where he was performing, he was going to say, hey, homeboy. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've had a lot of singer-songwriters on this show. And yeah, we had Paul Williams and Jimmy Webb. And, oh, Jimmy Webb, okay. Yeah. And, and all of them, when we asked the question, what got you into the music business, they all seemed to say to pick up women. 
No, I didn't. Or that that at least girls were part of the uh, incentive. That was that was not my incentive, to be honest (laughs) with you. Although, 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 you got to be honest, it came later. (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) I I I, I just enjoyed uh, singing. You know, I just enjoyed the groups. You know, I didn't really like singing professionally. That was never my intention. But I enjoyed it. It was it was a great part of my life and entertainment. You know. Uh, you know, we, we 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 grew up with a grandmother that was a very very disciplinarian, uh, uh, and she would you know first of all we had to go to church at least six five or six times a week you know, and uh, and you know we, for a breather and a relaxer we would love to go to uh, the, the shows so, here or or and hear the. Uh, Mm-hmm. We have our groups and perform and ever and I was surprising as 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 way my grandmother had us singing in church or you know I was surprised she would allow us to sing the so called secular music but she for some reason she was very considered I guess she said oh they're just teenage boys you know give them let them have do have some fun as long as we. As much as we love also going to the theater, movie theater, she would never let us go on a Sunday. Couldn't go on Sunday, so don't waste your time. I see. You know, but other than that, you know, she, you know, very, you know, she was tough disciplinarian. You know. Well, we're going to talk about your upbringing a little bit more, but on the sub, we'll address Gilbert's question on the subject of women because there's a fascinating thing in the book, Eddie, about all these women that heard your song lyrics and started turning up in droves at Motown headquarters to meet you because they thought you understood them. Oh, that happened. Yeah, I don't know about droves, but it happened. I was surprised. <laughs> I mean, you know, but, but I was surprised. I was surprised. You know, there were basically a few people come from uh, Cleveland, some few, few from Chicago, and uh, that's what they would say. They say, well, I said, well, why? He said, well, I want to see you. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. I, I said, well, why? You know, they said, because you, you, I listen to your records. You understand me. You understand me. I mean, I was shocked. <laughs> I did understand. <laughs> I mean, I understood what I was writing about in the, because right. that was the way I was able to write because I understood how, you know, especially those teenage girls and how they were. You know, I had most of the, the, the attention when I was in intermediate school. You know, I had a lot of attention there. More than I really truly wanted, you know, because sometimes they would, in between their classes, they would come to my homeroom and they'd be sitting by the window, I mean, you know, the homeroom, and I asked the teacher because she moved me and a couple times, you know, that happened. But, and you know, they would follow me home and they would, you know, I had a lot, a lot of attention. And and I, you know, but then as I got a little older, you know, I would talk to them and, and find out what was it that, because they became very interesting to me. You know, I, I noticed, yeah, I thought that, that the females, uh, I learned very, very early that they were not as as, as plain or as uh, 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 simple-minded, so to speak, as the guys would think they are. I learned very, very early. So I would spend a lot of time asking them questions. What do you do this for and how do you do this? What what you what do you like about this and what do you like about just to get them to talking you know, 
And uh, I learned a lot of money, especially when, by the time I was in my early 20s, you know. They told me, I mean, they really educated me to, 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 the, to the ways of females, which was very tricky. I mean, and, and it was tough. But helpful, that helpful in, it was very helpful in writing. Yes, 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 it was. I was going to say. Yes, because you you wrote a lot. You wrote from women's point of view. That's I mean, it sounds exactly like you keep I, me hanging that's on. Ex- that's that's exactly what I did, you know. But yeah. it was you know it was yeah. very, I had a bit, very interesting, you know. And I'm gonna tell you something. It wasn't that easy to get that kind of information from females. It was I'll not bet. that easy because they would look <laughs> we, at me. It's we, almost, we still don't have it. It's, Eddie. it's, it's <laughs> almost as if it was a, it was a female club, and they didn't want to talk about it. And then I would sort of press them in such a way. And then they say, well, you know, they will go into the crying act and how uh, females would cry. And they say, you know, men, they have a tendency, you know, to think, you know, that that uh, we all we will we succumb to them because we're shedding tears. They say, but look, this is a game. I said, game. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We play the game. And I, and I, I said, well, they said, well, and they start talking. I said, look, he said, so let me show you how it works. And they were talking to me and explaining it. And the tears were just flowing. <laughs> see, see how easy it is. So I, I learned a lot listening to them. I, I was a big listener. Then it got I'm to sure. the point that they would spend a lot of time calling and talking to me because they too thought I understood them. That that I had insight from the song lyrics how they function. Right, and they would you wow. know. So it was it was interesting. That's that's part of his uh, his dopamine in his life. <laughs> As endorphins, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> and and it's funny that you went on to work for Motown, and Motown was known for, you know, respecting women workers. Well, and, and that Barry hired a lot of women in influential positions. Oh, well, yeah. first of all, Barry Gordy grew up with women dominating his life, with yeah. he wanted to mention yeah. now. Yeah, his mother. I mean, his mother was a very strong up. woman, mm-hmm. okay? His sisters grew up being influenced yeah. by their mother, and they became very strong women. Dominating okay? women. And very, and very dominating, as, mm-hmm. as Brian said. So mm-hmm. he, he learned to respect the women. You know, he was, you know, he was like, you know, matter of fact, I think several of them were really older than him, and they, hey, mm-hmm. But he, but I, that is the first time I noticed a man being as respectful towards women. That was a good influence on me. Mm-hmm. You know, wasn't that uh, different for a record company though at that time to have women making influential decisions? Well, yes, 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 yeah. yes. It was. Yeah. It was to his, to his credit. To it, his it credit, was good. You know, and then he used Billie Jean. Well, he, well, first of all, he used his sisters, Lucy Wakefield. And his older sister Esther, Esther Edwards, uh, were very uh, influential. Uh, influential to him. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. they were smart, yeah. and he respected yeah. that. Yeah, because like, like he American always said story. that he they were smarter than him. Yeah. He always said yeah. <laughs> they were smarter than me. <laughs> and yeah. and one thing Frank and I were fascinated by how Gordy came up with the idea from Motown. You know that story. You mean applying the uh, the uh, the assembly line mentality from the from the yeah. uh, from from his work in the auto industry? It's fascinating. It, it is. It is. It is. But uh, when I met Barry Gordy, you know, he wasn't really thinking in terms of a record company. He was a, a record producer, himself. producing for uh, uh, Jackie Wilson, and he was a writer. You met him as a teenager for Jackie, absolutely for Jackie Wilson. Yeah. You know. 
And so he, 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 you know, he, he sort of, I would say, became in, involved in it because Barry had a tough time when he started off. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. I would go to Barry, you know, in, in, to New York, you know, and uh, and he would be in the lobby to, in this company called Gone and In. I don't know if you remember that company, you know, and he was pushing his record, you know, and he would get a lot of rejections, you know. Uh, he would always be trying to, you know, he'd go around and, 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 and do his masters and records and whatever. And he would get a lot of rejection, you know. And and then he, he noticed that uh, his royalties was were, was not that great if he wouldn't get. I don't think he was getting hardly paid at all from Nat Tarnable, I see. Jackie Wilson's. You know, and so I, and, and, and from when he told me, he said, you know, Smokey said I should start my own record company. And I said, well, he did. He said, yeah. He said, he said, he said, he said I, I'm kind of thinking about that. So he mulled that over for several years before he really, really got involved in it. I was going to say, there's a great documentary that Showtime put out last year for the 60th anniversary of Motown called uh, Hitsville, The Making of Motown. And people that are interested can get Barry's story about how he worked in the auto plant, how he started a record, uh, a record store, right, right. All, all, the, all the steps and all the, uh, all the various uh, hurdles that, that, that he overcame uh, to, to start and launch Motown. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Because yeah, he said in it that working on the, on the assembly line where each person had their job of slapping something new on the car, is where he got the idea of, like, how about music acts? Right. And the idea for quality control, which oh, became yeah. a, oh, yeah. a, a, a which became Very a part important. of Motown. Very important. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. I want to ask about a turning point, too, from the book. Brian, I want to talk. You talk in the book about hearing your song on the radio for the first time. Oh, and I, I think it was Please, Mr. Please I think it was Please, Mr. Postman. Postman. Yeah. Matter of fact, yeah. it came on. I was CKLW at that time. And uh, it was in competition with a record called "Sitting Here Ya La La." Waiting for my "Sitting Here Ya Ya." Waiting for my "La La." If you remember that record, yes, yeah. I remember that one. Sure, Dorsey, Lee Dorsey, I think that was the guy. Yes, yeah. Lee Dorsey. Yeah. And um, and it was in competition. And one week, Postman would go to number one, fall down, and go "Sitting Here Ya Ya." Would go to number one, fall down, and Postman went back to number one. I mean, that was one of the greatest feelings. And then Postman became such a huge record. I mean, they, oh, so many people did that song. Oh, yeah. Including the Beatles. Beatles oh, yeah. oh, I made more money with the Beatles than I did with anybody. And <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, wasn't Please, Mr. Postman, a turning point for you, too? Because it was one of the songs where you looked at it. You looked at Brian's royalties. <laughs> right. <laughs> in, in the, well, let me say this. Indirectly, it was Please, Mr. Postman. Indirectly, Directly, it was the check that my brother received. <laughs> 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 you know, we were kids, man. You know what I mean? And, uh, and the fact of the matter is, we say, "Wow!" I looked at it because I know when I was recording, I had I had this 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 uh, this uh, hit. You know, I think it would top twenty or something yeah. like that, Jamie. Mm-hmm. And you know, I went oh, around yeah. did Dick Clark shows, yeah. Apollos, and theaters or whatever. And uh, then I, you know, I look at my royalty statement. You know, you know, I, I, I actually I had a few. That's why I put it all in the book because I wanted people to know. And then I noticed I'm looking for this royalty. <laughs> it was I owe uh, right now. You owe I don't care remember how much, but some thousands of dollars to the company. I said, 
I owe thousands of dollars mm-hmm. because you're recording <laughs> yeah. you record you recorded yeah. this and this and this and you got advances and this right. and this and this. I said, Oh my God. And then I looked at my brother and he was looking, he had an angelic look yeah. on his face. A gleam on his face. He was gleam in his eye. Yeah, he was excited. But I mean, and, and I looked at him because he I mean he, he it did it, it, it I, I, obviously it caught his attention what he was what he was looking at. And I said, Brian, uh, did you get any? Did, did you did you get any check? He said, Yeah. I said, Well, let me see it. So I said, I want to look at his statement and check <laughs> to see how he he got this money. And then when I saw he got it from the song and this and that, and nothing was deducted. I mean, just the check. I said, and I said to myself, you know. I'm in the wrong end of this business <laughs> because the, I mean, the making money is really what I was interested yeah. in. Mm-hmm. It was right. not. I was, it was really. It was not really singing at all. Mm-hmm. I really was interested in making money. That's what it was. And you taught yourself songwriting really from Absolutely. scratch. And, Absolutely. And you talk in the book. You 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 pull you you picked apart two of Smokey's songs, and 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 broke them down, and and tried to teach yourself from the ground up. How right. to write a Absolutely. song? Absolutely, because I had no idea of how to write a song, and I, I, I mean, I, I was asking some people, I said, "Well, how do you put a poem together?" And I'm, "Well, how do you do this?" Well, how is it? You know, I was asking everybody, like a, a guy in my neighborhood. He, um, his name was Walter Lee, mm-hmm. and uh, he could write poems. And he, and he was writing this poem, and I said, "Where'd you get that from?" He said, "Well, I wrote that." I said, "Let me see it." So he showed it to me, and uh, and somebody Longfellow or something, you know. And I said, "You want to sell this?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "I said I give you fifty dollars for it." He said, "How much?" I said, fifty dollars for it." He said, "Yeah." <laughs> I wanted to take it, not to take his song, but to examine how he put this poem together because I had right. no idea. So I studied his his structure and everything also. But Smokey's work was the key because I always felt that Smokey is the best of the best. And I mm-hmm. I just felt that, you know what? I said, Smokey's, I mean, Smokey was so good, man. I kept asking myself, how can this guy be so good yeah. at this young oh, yeah. age? Yeah, you know, right. he beat me to the punch and my guy and oh, <laughs> I mean, I said, in the rhyme schemes and shop around, and I, and shop shop around. around. I said, yeah. how would he, yeah. as young as he was, because we were very young, you know. I said, how in the world does he know what he's talking about? <laughs> anyway, I had I got two of his songs, which I don't remember which two, and I just studied them and studied them. But I came to a quick conclusion that you know what I I said to myself. I said, Ed, first of all, it would take you a lifetime to learn to function. In this way with song. So you never, yeah. and I said, I don't have a lifetime to, to try to learn. I said, I'm going to have right. to come up with another approach and technique of my own. And and that's what I really did. You know, uh, I, I worked on it and worked on it. Then I came up with another technique and another approach to it. And uh, it was very effective, you know. So Brian while, while, Brian, while Eddie was teaching himself songwriting, you were already writing with other people. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Uh, obviously, Please, people. Mr. Postman was one of those songs. Yeah, Postman, and then I wrote a, a song with uh, Lamont Dozier. Mm-hmm. I met him through his wife, um, and then I wrote this song, Forever, that we recorded on 
the I'm on Marvelous and Marvin Gaye, and uh, from there we just uh, you know started coming up with a couple more songs, and and then uh, Edward got he saw where we could uh, make a team, and um, he could join in and write the lyrics faster than we could because we was not a, I was not a lyric writer. Lamont could probably I could write some lyrics, but Lam- mm-hmm. primarily we were just song, you know, playing music, you know what I mean? So Edward said he wanted to get involved. He write all the lyrics and you know what I mean? And that's how HD got started. See Frank, what I what I noticed is this that uh Brian was a great melody person and Lamont was mm-hmm. was very, very good also. And um I noticed that it took them a long time to write the lyrics to these melodies because they were coming up with the melodies at a fast rate, okay? Right. And they were going to the right. studio, and they would put these things together at a fast rate. But it took them forever, in my opinion, to do the lyric. And so when I noticed that, I said, you know what? I said, we would make, you guys would make so much money. I was telling to my brother, really. Mm-hmm. You would make so much money if you had someone to do the lyrics while you're doing those melodies. You get more more product out. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, if I did the lyric, because at that time, I think I was just trying to make uh, $10,000, you know, which was a lot of money back in those days. You know, you got to understand some of the average worker back in those days was making $5,000 a year. Mm-hmm. The average mm-hmm. attorney was making fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year. You know, so, you know, and, and so it, it was not that all that money that the people are making now. You know, it wasn't that no. kind of money. You know? it, it, it puts the money that Barry was paying Jamerson per week in perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> a thousand week, a thousand a week in those days, what, seven thousand yeah. dollars today? Yeah, but that's Yeah, that's, and he and he and he was worth every penny. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Jamerson. You know, because even then you can think in if people think in terms of which was the hot car in that day was Cadillac. Cadillac was fifty five hundred dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. Rolls wow. Royce was, you know, twenty five thousand dollars. You get a brand new silver cloud, you know. I mean, so it was a different, different, you know. <laughs> of course, but, of course. Uh, it, it was, but, the, but the important thing, we were excited about doing what? Making money while we were enjoying and having fun about what we, with, with what we were doing. And did Barry Gordy have a rule that you uh, had to hook the audience in like the first six seconds of the song? He never ruled. Well, there was not a rule, but he was just saying he would make the statement that. Well, I don't know. Well, oh, I say Brian is being technical. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that technically he it was a rule, but he believed it was was workable. He believed that the product should be that way. First, Mm -hmm. the intro should get you. He said it was very, very. So to me. Was might as well have been a rule because he was so strong about it, and he, and he was and he was the songwriter. I mean, we again, we were just learning. You know, we were still learning. You know, so if if if, if being uh, successful as he was writing those songs for Jackie Wilson, if he giving you a, a, a direction to say you should have it, have these songs to catch you at first. I don't know if it's six seconds, or ten seconds, but it was intro. That's for sure. So that was that's part of the habit we learned. 
Mm-hmm. And it helped us I a think lot. Of a, I think of a song like You Keep Me Hanging On and that Walter Winchell type right. teletype oh, sound yeah. at the beginning of the song. That draws you right in. Absolutely. So you you guys you guys worked hard to come up with 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 riffs and hooks. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Was, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and yeah. also that uh, they were saying in Motown, any sound at all that people heard, they could uh, they were putting into yeah, like they you'd hear a car horn or oh, something. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, right. And you so let that would be. <laughs> We good in the song. Yeah, Absolutely. Think, Maybe you can understand all this fancy equipment and all these creative sounds they had now. We had none of that to work with. I think at first <laughs> right, we were working on eight. You didn't have synthesizers. Yeah, we, we, we were working on what was well, it, eight track at first, yeah, Brian? Eight track. Eight, eight track, track we were working. Yeah. Then you know, sixteen track. and then we went to sixteen track. But you got to understand something: when we had eight tracks, that was big for us. Then yeah. sixteen track. Oh my God! Yeah, we track. got sixteen <laughs> tracks to work. On. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? So, but so when they were piling up, and I remember a lot of times I was doing a, a, a demo records or records, and and it would, I would be on uh, take. 45, uh-huh. and then when you once you got the record, then if a drummer was off or, or somebody else was off, oh, you got to do that take again. So it was, it was you had to know what you were doing. But let me tell you something. It gave us great training because bet. for some reason, I, and I noticed, you know, uh, later on, is that these producers were using... 24, 34 tracks, and they were mm-hmm. cutting. In other words, if they want to get tar sound, Man, they might do a guitar, get the seven, eight, ten, twelve times. We didn't do that. We had trained our ears to immediately know what they, what they were doing. We had trained our ears to immediately pick out if he did it twice. Okay, that was that's the one. Go back to that. We didn't we didn't need all of those tracks because we right. made decisions as we went along. But it helped us sharpen our instinct and ears to know what we wanted. The stuff about. 30 times of this nonsense. Mm-hmm. To think of Gil- Gilbert's comment, I think, too, of, 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 of using interesting sounds, Brian. I think of the oscillator. Oh, yeah. You oh, guys got, man. Oh, yeah. When you guys got a little psychedelic. Yeah, oh, yeah. Your refl- oh, reflections. <laughs> yes, right. right. Yeah. 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 We use yeah. the oscillator for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that gra- that's another thing. That's another hook at the top of that oh, song yeah. oh, that, dra- yeah, that, that draws you right yeah, into right. it. <laughs> Reflections of the way life used to be. Reflections of the love you 
Why did you guys only have three hours? Was it because you only had Studio A, you only had the Snake Pit, you had to come out of a three-hour session with three completed songs? Well, it seems like a well, we did a lot of pressure. You didn't have to come out. Well, well, let me cut from Brian off. You didn't have to come out with three completed uh, uh, sessions. Well, we just want to make sure. We but you one. had to try to do two. We yeah, will only really go for two. I see. Uh -huh. It's just that at one point, we... It's uh, to be some. Yeah, they, that's what we were going for for, yeah. for the most part. But I would say this, that one point we went into the studio uh, uh, and cut the first, I don't know, three, three four number one records yeah, on the Supremes. Yeah, right. We did three in that one session, you know. Yeah. But then we were hungry. Then we were, <laughs> we were aggressively moving. Why? Because we found out that this record, Word It I Love, though, with the Supremes, was going to be the biggest thing Motown had ever experienced. It would thrust them into Oregon. Orbit, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and so we, we were excited about that because Barney Ailes, the salesman, said, Hey, Barry. And this is all according to Barry Gordy. He said, Barry, you got to understand, this record is so phenomenal now. It's taking us in places and areas that we have never been. So Barry, when he left Barney's, you know, and which I tried to write a, write a book about it and describe it as, as, as close as I possibly could, he and I was happened to be standing on the porch and Motown, and when Barry passed, leaving Barney's office. Mm -hmm. And Barry stopped, and he started talking to me. He said, Eddie, he said, we got to have follow-up with this record because Barney feels that this is, 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 the, is the, the image, this is the threshold, this is the, 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 the direction the of, 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 of what, what, what the company is going with these girls, the Supremes, you know? And so... I immediately, when I talked to Barry, I had listened to what he said. I said, okay. Mm -hmm. I immediately went up there talking to Brian and talking to Lamont. And I said, man, we got to come up with some records mm -hmm. immediately for that follow-up. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did, mm -hmm. you know. And when they, they worked on it hard. I mean, for a couple of weeks or something, a week or whatever, I don't know. But it was, it was exciting times. Yeah, I will tell you, yeah. it was exciting. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Brian, on the subject of of where did our love go, and, and and Eddie used an interesting word. He used the word orbit. The song wound up being played in outer space. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. That's true. That's right. What was your reaction? What was your reaction to that? I didn't know. Well, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought it was really great. Uh, that that this it, it was it was played out of in outer space. So, I, was, so yeah. I think for the Gemini astronauts. Yeah, right. oh, it was. Okay. It was played. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that too. How, how about that? That's yeah. having some reach. That's, yeah. out, of, hey, that's <laughs> out of space. <laughs> <laughs> what what happened with the song "Baby Love"? When you when you were uh, you 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 guys that was one of your drag out fights, as you talk about in the book. Oh, oh yeah. Well, baby, yeah, not yeah. baby love. Yes, it was. It was not a draw. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh. It was not a no. It no. was not a draw. No, it was not a. No, you, you, you call it a knockdown fight. No, we're in a you love said, You said ba baby love was one of those arguments because you oh, hated the title. Hated the title. Yeah, yeah. Like but title. but I didn't. I did You know, a lot of it Brian never knew. So if that didn't happen to be a, a knockdown, drawn, drawn out fight. 
like a, a Love Life tune and, and a couple of others. Uh-huh. Brian and I would battle around the office and argue and argue and Lamont would ease his way out and disappear to, to, to wherever he was going. He, he, want, he would just let you guys settle. He didn't want right. to, yeah, he didn't want the confusion. The people do us that way now because we still get into it now yeah. we, with our opinions. We're yeah. just very opinionated yeah. guys and, 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 and usually at that time uh, I would win because Brian got tired of arguing with me and he just said, hey, okay, fine. Let me see a way to make this work so this guy can shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it boiled down to. But a Baby Love, he when he gave it to me, I knew that he was sensitive about it. So I didn't fight him on that because I knew that, you know, it has something to do with Diana Ross and whatever his feelings were. And, you know, and but, but the thing about it, I, I, I said, wow, Baby Love. I had... Fight to fight myself because I thought it was such a trite title. I said, "Man, I cannot write enough baby love, baby love. What the hell is that?" But anyway, <laughs> it took me two weeks, at least two weeks, you know, to to decide was I going to use this trite title, baby love? How was I going to make sense out of this thing? But I can make sense out of it because I knew Brian's feeling at that time. He described enough. And the, the way he was doing this melody, I could feel it. See, that was always the advantage of me doing the melodies that Brian would create, because I could feel it. And I would just That's sort great. of describe the words that mm. felt, this talk to me. You know what I mean? I would take words that expressed the feeling that he conveyed to me. Mm-hmm. That's why I was doing it. And you got to understand something. All those top 10, number one records, whatever. I was still learning. Of course. I was not, a, I was not, I didn't consider myself a professional writer. It's just that I was learning to put this, what do you call it, block building. I would just put. Brian, would, would, would Eddie say to you, you got to write more bars here because I haven't told my story? Oh, I need yeah. more story. Oh, man, yeah. I didn't finish my storyline. We had, boy, we, yeah, yeah. man, you talking about some knockdowns, yeah, drawn out yeah, arguments, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Also, said, man, right, because, what, because Brian, is, Brian just thought of the lyrics as what? Just, just another instrument. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And barely that, yeah. barely the instrument. It's just something <laughs> that filled in the his instrumentation of the track. He yeah. felt, he said, look, man, nobody listens to lyric. Nobody listens to lyric. He said, that's the last thing you listen to. He said, it's going by the music, the melody, and the, and, and the movement of that track. That's what people get into. I said, Brian, but you got to have the lyric that makes sense. He said, well, that, that makes sense. This is all we need. Nobody's going to get into the lyric. I was just a stickler for words to be as complete as he wanted his production to be completed. Gotcha. You know? Now, this, this might be complete and total bullshit because I, I got it from the same documentary. <laughs> oh. uh, where did the song Stop in the Name of Love come from? Oh, you know what? That was a title that Lamont came up with. Yeah. How he got the title, where he got the title, he, he, I never he knew. A, he got it on a movie book. Give him a movie book. 
Oh, yeah, the movie book? Yeah, yeah so that's what he told me. You can't got it on a movie book. Oh, Brian said he got it on a movie book. Movie book. Movie book. Saw it, saw it. But, it, but it wasn't unheard of for you guys to use something from your personal life. Oh, no, 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 no. As a source. Which, which, which uh, you, you don't really love me, you keep me hanging on, you just keep me hanging on? Oh, yeah, that was for my... One yeah, of those One yeah, of those lyrics? That was my, yeah, yeah that was yeah. my. Yes. Because someone yeah. told me that. You know, uh-huh. I, had, I had gotten into some kind of personal conflict and, you know... Uh, and uh, and 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 the girl, which she 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 never she she was a very strong-willed woman. Did she? And, and I think it hurt her feelings. So because of my involvement, and she she started you know she started breaking up. She started crying. I was surprised. She said, "You don't you don't love me." She said, "You, she said, you just keep me hanging on." And she said, "Just get out of my life. Get out of my life." <laughs> did, did you did you leave the room and jot that down? No, <laughs> did, I did. You... I just looked at her and I didn't say much. I didn't try to argue with her because I knew you know. And I just hoped that she calmed down. And uh, she talked to her mother, and because she was still around the next two or three days, and I was surprised. So she was one of those kind of females that if she said something, that's the that's what she was going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I see, and so I and I didn't know I didn't dare open up that can of worms. But then I asked her. I had I could I had to ask her after that third or fourth day she was still around. I said, "Well, what what happened to change your mind?" And she looked at me. And she said, "You know what changed my mind? My mother. Mm-hmm. My mother changed my mind because she said my mother said you were a decent man. Is that and you you were a, 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 a honorable man mm-hmm. and you were honest." She said she could tell. She said, let me explain something to you. She said, when a man is that young and make that kind of money and he is not bad to look at, you go, then you got to understand females are going to be after him. He doesn't have to be after them. They're going to be after him. So you might mm-hmm. as well live with it because that's the way it's going to be. On on the subject, Brian, of you, uh, let's say, underappreciating the contribution of of lyrics, what is this great story (laughs) from the book where years and years later you heard I Hear a Symphony? Oh, yeah. And you decided you had to pick up the phone and call Eddie? Yes, yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, I had to call him because I was, was, what happened? I was in a gym working out. And then when I finished working out, I got in my car. And I hear a symphony came on, uh-huh. and I heard heard it, Diane singing it, and I, and after kept going on and on and just kept going on. I hear a symphony every time you speak to me. I hear a symphony, and I said, "Man, I started crying. I started crying myself." I said, "That that lyric is really great. I never thought about it too much <laughs> until I heard it that day." I mean, really. <laughs> Yeah. Decades later, he paid you a yeah, compliment. Right, right. I know, and I, said, and I said to myself, "Man, you gonna wait thirty years to tell me that I wrote a, a great lyric in your opinion?" I said, "Man, get out of here!" Well, that, I, you that know, that line... you Frank. See, the thing about it, I have been trying when I first started. I was trying to get a response to Brian because I felt it was my role since since since, since I volunteered to do lyric that he had to be pleased. You know, I figured that that was part of my responsibility. He sure, never would say anything. He would, <laughs> I would say, was it okay? Am I, am, am I doing Am I doing it right? Is it, yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. And that's all I would say. So I never knew how I was doing, except when it got in, the, the lyric got in his way. He said, wait a minute. I, don't you, don't you, I have horns in this part. 
I, I don't I don't need lyrics there. I don't need <laughs> lyrics there. I got some strings <laughs> in here. Well, I got a background. Your part. lyrics are in the way of he my said, strings. He yeah, said, it's right. in the way. He said, man, I said, look, Brad, I can't be breaking up those songs just because no instrument. And so he said, man, you got to start writing, but you get, don't get in the way of the, of the production <laughs> arrangement, you know. Well, I, I got to agree with uh, I, I got to agree with Brian because a particular line in that song, "Baby, baby, as you stand holding me, whispering how much you care, a thousand violins fill the air." That is poetry, my friend. Right, that's right. That and is, I can see why you cried. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> my wife came into the room. I was playing that for her about an hour ago, and she uh-huh. stood. She stopped what she was doing, and she said, and I quote, with no prompting for me, Ed. She said. That man is a poet. Oh, wow. Are you serious? Now, that now that is flattering to me. Because let me tell you something. I've been struggling to be accomplished lyric writer all my life. <laughs> because I always, like I said, my idol is Smokey Robinson. He is Smokey Robinson, okay? He's the greatest of I mean, the greats, you know. But, wow, that's quite a compliment. And she got me standing. She's got me walking. I'll be walking out of here at least three feet higher now. <laughs> on a cloud. <laughs> By the way, on, on the subject of I Hear a Symphony, there's also a great story in the book about Brian showing up at your door. Eddie, at night, and saying, we need this by the morning. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't show up at the door. He called me from the studio. I see. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. He called me from the studio, yeah. and um, and he said, we got to have this song tomorrow because the girls are leaving town. And I I think it was about 10, 11 o'clock then, mm-hmm. at least 10. It was late. It was late for me, you know, because I, I, I was not a... I, I, I was not a person that stayed up very late, you know, unless I was writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I didn't think I could do it. I just said to myself, hey, you see, again, I'm in the learning stage. It, it it would take me two to three weeks to write a song. And that is constantly added with thick piles of papers, constantly going over and over it and trying to you know, using the building block uh, to to get the feeling from the 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 the, 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 the and, and being inspired by the music and hoping that the words would express what I felt and what the music mm-hmm. was was saying to me. So I didn't think I could do it, and 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 it was the most painful situation that I had to experience. And like I said once, and I'll say it again, I will never go through that mm-hmm. again because it was like living hell. Because I was so tired trying to write that song that two twice I would go to the phone to call my brother and say, Brian, I can't do it. There's no way I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I and I felt bad about it and I stopped. And I went on and worked again for another two hours. Then the sleep hit me and I couldn't think my mind. You know, it's just when you get real, real tired, you burn out. I mean, man, that is a horrible feeling. So I went to the phone again and went through it. And I, the fact of the matter is, and I still, and I stopped again. I, I, could, I had a heart to tell him that. So the fact of the matter is that I was writing this all the way to the studio, at the studio, while I was rehearsing down at Ross, I was still finishing up touches in the lyric. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a lot of pressure. Oh, man. <laughs> I tell you, I'll never do it again. I, I will not. I, I got a couple of questions for, from uh, from listeners, including Whoopi Goldberg, uh, who says, and I'm going to run this one, uh, I'm going to direct this one at you, Brian. 
Whoopi wants to know, uh, do artists, performers, and songwriters today seem as hungry as they once were? Or as they were in your guys' era. Well, well I can't answer that. I, well, I, 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 in my opinion, I would say no. I would say no, especially performers. I don't know about the writers so much, but performers, I would say no. Uh, and uh, and successful artists, I would say no, for the simple reason. Um, back in those days, it was very very difficult to be successful. I mean, really difficult. You know, as the youth progressed, the business had grown so much. I mean, for us to sell, get a gold record Mm -hmm. was, I mean, that was a difficult situation. It's nothing for these kids to get a a gold record. That's nothing for them. They get seven and eight, Three, four platinum records. The fact that it is that they make a lot more money now. They also they uh, it's the, the population has grown so, and and the money that they make it's it, it's it, 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 it no it's no need for them to do what we did. I mean, you got to understand something. For us to get a million seller, you didn't get any more than ten thousand dollars. Okay. From the, from the record company and another maybe five or six or seven from BMI, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me tell you, I have, I've had many samples of songs that we've done for Go Forever where picking up 30%, the check was 300 and some thousand. Mm-hmm. That was unheard of when we were coming up. But that only shows how many people are out there buying records. They have a lot of what you call uh, leisure money. Mm-hmm. A lot more. You didn't have that kind of leisure money when, it, when we were kids. When they said the record yeah. business was a penny business, absolutely was a penny business. And you Disposable had to, income. This, that's right, disposable income. You had yeah. to scuffle for that money. Out here now, it's a little bit, but many got... They, they, I mean, I, first of all, I admire all of them, okay? Because they uh, they have put this situation together in many, many ways. They ask for more. They they involve themselves in, in the business much more than uh, Brian and I or the Smokey did. Well, you know, the artists of that day, of our day coming up. And they, they, uh, they, 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 they I mean, they're just much more business about what they're doing. They want to control mm-hmm. more, and what they mm-hmm. and what they do control. They make. I mean, they make so much money; it's unbelievable. And I'm proud of them. One of the songwriters we had on this show that Gilbert uh, alluded to or mentioned directly was Dennis Lambert of Lambert and Potter. Oh, okay. And, and they said, and Dennis wrote to me, and he said, "Would you please tell the Holland Brothers that their work with the Tops, the Four Tops, <laughs> set the standard for great." R&B songwriting and production. Baby, I need your loving. Reach out, I'll be there. Seven rooms of gloom. Bernadette, I can't help myself. Need I may? Need I say more? They are the greatest R&B writers and producers of all time. So, not so much a question, but a compliment. Okay, but 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 I think I think he and his partner were great too. Yeah. Because yes, I, heard, I heard the things that they that they, they, they did on the four top. Right. Those records are great. Oh yeah, ain't no woman like the one I got. Whatever they did, whatever if we influenced it, I mean that that just makes us proud. But let me tell you something: they mastered whatever it took, and they handled it and executed. And and the fact that uh, uh, other than ourselves, nobody else had ever did. 
Mm-hmm. Well, he'll be happy to hear you I mean, say that. Yeah. It's yeah. great oh, stuff, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he's a big talent. Love it. Love the stuff they did on the four tops. They're, they're, yeah. they're great. He, he's down in Florida now. I'll put you guys in touch. Okay. okay. Tell tell us something about the Funk Brothers. Tell us how how uh, how important they were to your records. And only only two uh, still with us, by the way. Only Joe Messina and and the great Jack Ashford. Yeah. Are are, oh, okay. are, are still, yeah, around. still around. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sadly, of 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 the of the thirteen profiled in the movie and standing in the shadows of Motown. Uh. I mean, James Jamerson, Joe Hunter, Benny Benjamin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. And Frank, you know what? I mean, just this, and you, you mentioned the guy's name is just so. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the, the, the memories, you know, mm. and the emotional impact of what you asking now, just, it, mm. it just overflows yeah. within me. The fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, the Funk Brothers were extremely instrumental to the success of Motown, period. Okay? Extremely instrumental to the success of the writers. Extremely instrumental to the success of the producers. Now, let me say this. Not because they orchestrated our songs for us, because Brian knew exactly what he wanted. Mm. Okay? And he, he, you had, he had to get what he wanted. But the difference is they mastered it. It is very difficult, especially the type of things that Brian comes up with, the type of chords Brian used. It is very difficult for the average musician to master that, especially back in those days. I don't know about now so much because they've, you know, they've learned to learn a lot. But mm-hmm. back in those days, was it was very, very difficult. They mastered it. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking in terms of a, a, a bass, I mean... Uh, and, well, uh, Jamerson was peerless. And, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I know. He was. See, I met uh, uh, Jamerson, I, I think I was about 14 years old. And I remember Jamerson was walking across the street. He had this huge instrument. I said, what the hell is that? He said, that's the bass. I said, man, what does he want? What is he carrying that ugly thing around for? And I could understand it. The thing was taller than him and bigger than him. And he was carrying this thing from his house to the bus and carried it on the bus. Now, and in those days, you know, the guitar was a romantic instrument. If you're a guitar player, oh my God, all the girls and everything else, you know. This, I said, what did he carry? This ugly instrument. The next time I saw him is that Motown with a Fender Rose, mm-hmm. you know, Fender which as, 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 it was a bass, but uh, bass. yeah. But uh, he was had become so masterful at his instrument, it was unbelievable. But yeah, two fingers. Two fingers. Two fingers. Yeah. Two fingers. yeah. But, yes. But, but I, can, I can remember once, you know, uh, uh, when when Brian was in the studio, and because it, it did get to a point where the guys got a little envious, a little bit. I don't know what kind of message or conversation they had between themselves. But uh, Jameson, they were saying, I, 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 because Holland Ocean and Holland was making so much money. And and they were making good money too, but not the kind of money we were making, you know, nowhere near. And I remember Jameson being in the studio, and he and Brian was directing him. <laughs> and he said, and he played some chord. He said, "What do you, what do you want, Brian?" He said, "You mean this chord?" Brian said, "No, no." 
He said, well, this one here? He said, no. And Brian said, he told him what chord he wanted. Mm-hmm. He said, I want you to play this chord over this, blah, blah, blah. And it shocked Jamerson. Mm-hmm. Because Jamerson, and like the, all the other musicians, mm-hmm. was under the impression we knew nothing about music. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a rule, you know, the producers didn't. Not the way Brian does. No. Brian's ear, he could tell you what chord, how to get the chord, and everything else, you know. So he was shocked. So that 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 changed Jameson's attitude towards that. Mm-hmm. But not, not saying that, notwithstanding that, this guy and all those bump brothers, they were magnificent. And again, yep. we would have never been able to make the money because for simple reason. We could have never done three and two tunes or so, one three-hour session. Mm-hmm. Would have never been able to do it. Mm-hmm. Most people stay in that six hours for one two. We always came out with at least two. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend Gary Citro asked a question too. How much freedom then did the studio musicians have in in, in shaping a song? Not much. No, not with not Brian. Not much at all. Not with Brian. Not with us. Not with Holland. Not no, with Holland no, Dozier. No, 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 no. no, no. no. No, not, not with us, no. Because Brian knew, knew what he wanted. Brian was telling him, he knew what he wanted uh, while I was doing this lyric or, or telling him how many bars I wanted for this song. Brian was hearing the music then. He was telling me, no, no. In other words, when I would tell Brian, I said, Brian, I need eight bars here. I said, you gave me four bars before, or you gave me six bars before. I need eight bars. He said, what for? He said, because I got my music coming in here. He said, can't you hear this? I said, Brian, no, I can't hear. You can't hear these instruments <laughs> in his head. He was hearing the horns. It was in the violin. I said, Brian, no, I can't hear that. But I do know this. This is what I need to write this song, you know. So anyway, he knew what he wanted, knew exactly what but he wanted. But we direct direct our listeners, too, and we have a lot of them, to, uh, to check out Standing in the Shadows of Motown, a, a, do- a documentary from about 18 years ago about, about the Funk Brothers uh, which is which is fascinating and part of the Motown story, an essential, right. an essential part of the Motown story. Gil, did you want to ask about something in the documentary that touched you uh, uh, about when when Barry sent the artist down south? Uh yeah, that you had to go out and tour on a bus. Well, yeah, Smokey, and, and you you guys you guys didn't go, right? No, we didn't go. Well, let me tell you something. Yeah, no. no. Smokey was there. Martha I, I was know, there. I know about it. You know. Yeah, we knew about it. We, we didn't. Go, we knew no, about it, but no, no we wouldn't. We didn't do that. Mm. Well, we what, didn't do that. what did you hear about that? Well, we just heard that that well, a people, lot of a, a lot of the uh, racism, yeah, right, right? You know, uh, and uh, a lot of the prejudice at that time in the South. And you can only eat at certain places, and you can only eat at certain yes. places. Yeah. And there are no bathrooms on the bus, That's so right. they had no, to stop no. to use the right. bathroom. Yeah. Additional problem. Right. They shot a couple. Shot Couple of times yeah. they shot yeah. the bus. Right. You know. Somebody shot the bus. And I also and I also knew, you know, this is that our album covers had to be yeah. a certain way where it doesn't reflect who it is. A whole lot of blackness. Right, right. The record and the music was black, yeah. but the, the covers could not reflect too much blackness yeah. because the, the, South, the right. South was not having it. So, yeah, they weren't going to buy the records. Right. Yeah. Thank heaven for Barney for oh, helping get those, oh, those, yeah. those white stations. Barney Ellis, oh, he was, he was, Barney Barney Ellis. Ellis oh, yeah. man, oh, yeah. was so mm-hmm. instrumental. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is also uh, uh, fascinating and something from the book. 
Uh, I think it was you, Eddie. That the, the, the term R&B you, 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 you had an issue with because you thought it was in some ways a segregated term. You, you guys were writing for all audiences. Right. Yeah, it wasn't you guys, true. You guys were writing see, pop. See, first of all, we weren't writing true R&B. Okay, not really. Okay. And my attorney, who was very, very black, and he would say, Holland, what are you guys, you and Brian, you know, he said, you're doing this Oriole music. I mm -hmm. said, what do you mean? He said, man, there ain't no black music. He <laughs> says, Oriole music. He says, white on the inside is black on the outside. <laughs> but, you know, because we were just, we were brought up in such a mixture of music, you know, in our, in our homes. And, our, and we would just listen to so much of it. It, 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 all kinds of music. It was it was mostly like Count Basie, jazz. I mean, mm -hmm. you name it, Bean Crosby. I mean, you know, this it wasn't white or black music. Nat King Cole, what was he singing? He wasn't singing white. I mean, of course, black music. of course. He was always they were everybody was buying his music, black and white. You know, and uh, but it was hey man, it was it was music. You know that that's what he was doing. You know. That's who you guys that's were writing we, for. And that's who we grew up. That's who we grew up. But Brian, you know, being listening, impressed with the, the orchestrations and the symphonic sounds when he was going to school, he was impressed with so kind, all the music, all the instruments. So he did he in his chords. That's what caused him to be very, very expansive in his chords. By, and by the way, you you guys should hear Gilbert sing. Uh, we're gonna we'll send you we're gonna send you Gilbert singing singing MacArthur Park with Jimmy uh, Webb. Uh, uh, <laughs> you guys will never you'll never be hey, the same. Hey, don't leave that cake out in the rain now. <laughs> Wasn't that a great line? That Wasn't was that? Jimmy Webb came away and left the cake out in the rain. The cake in the rain. Man, that was a great Too long to bake it. Right. And then, no, and then say, I, I never had that recipe. I could never get that recipe again. <laughs> yeah, that's it. What was the most dis disappointing and heartbreaking moment of talking to Jimmy Webb? Oh, I always yeah. thought that was so brilliantly poetic. Let uh -huh. the cake out in the Got rain. In the rain right. And then he said he was in the park, and there was a piece of cake on a bench, and it was uh -huh. raining. Uh -huh. Are you serious? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And I is thought, that, that, is, what the fuck is that? Uh -huh. I, I wanted some, some brilliant piece. I thought he, oh, what a poetic genius. You thought it was an ingenious yeah. metaphor, you know, not a literal Gilbert, cake. You know what, Gilbert, that's the same thing that I always thought. And I'm glad you cleared it up. Because it's been driving me crazy. I said, how did that guy come up with that line? Why did that come up with that line? You know, because one thing certain writers, they will do, they'll see a line, they'll love it. They say, wow, I wish I would have came up with that line. I wish I would have written that song. So now it, it, the pressure's off of me now. So maybe I should get something else in the ring and, 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 and create, create some kind of inspiration. Shakespeare. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first a word from our sponsor. We got to ask you guys about some of these giants uh, 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 that, that you work with. I mean, first off, I don't think we've done 320 of these podcasts. Uh, I don't think we've interviewed anybody who knew Jackie Wilson personally. I knew him can, personally. Can, and I know you're the first one. Yeah. Can you can you tell us in a couple of, can you can you tell us something that stands out in your mind or your memory about the great Jackie? Well, oh, first yeah. of all, let me let me go all the way back. <clears throat> 
My uncle married Jackie Wilson's cousin, okay? Mm-hmm. And my uncle, he would often talk about Jackie Wilson, Jackie Wilson, I, and I'd heard about Jackie Wilson around the, the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jackie Wilson, Jackie Wilson. But I didn't really know that much about him as far as singing. And then my uncle, when he, and he said, you know what? He said, Jackie Wilson went and auditioned for the Dominoes to take Clyde McFadden's place. Mm-hmm. I can imagine anybody having the nerve to take Clyde McFadden's mm-hmm. place because I thought <laughs> he was Clyde the McFadden. greatest of the great. Yeah, yeah. And he said that uh, they didn't take him, though. He said, so he went home. And he, then he told me, you know what? He said, Billy Ward came by Jackie's house to get him. He wants him in the dominoes. He said, because Clyde McFadden, he just fired. Mm-hmm. So it went from there to Clyde McFadden performing for the dominoes and my uncle always buying his records. So I would he would play his records over and over and over again. And so I was impressed with the records. And when I hear a, per, a person that can sing, I would always say, well, I could sing that. Let me sing this song. So he would have this song, Christmas in Heaven, Love Me Now, Let mm-hmm. Me Go, and like that. I said, oh, I can sing that. Mm-hmm. And I would, <laughs> yeah, well, I would just sing the songs. Yeah. And then I found out, you know, when, when, when I would go to, to groups, they, would, they said, well, what do you say? I didn't know that many songs. Mm-hmm. They said, well, I said, well, I know this song, Christmas in Heaven. They said, Christmas in Heaven. He said, you can sing this? Yeah. They said, well, let me hear it. Because they didn't think I could sing it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize they didn't think I could sing it at the time. Mm-hmm. So they would listen to me, and they were always impressed. And that's what I would do to audition all the time. I would do a Jackie Wilson song because nobody could sing Jackie Wilson song, which I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. Because they were very easy for me to sing, mm-hmm. you know. Because I would always What was it listen. like? See, Mario, Mario Lanza was really my idol. Mm. I Mario Lanza. Mar- wow. Yes. I would listen <laughs> wow. to Mario Lanza music in the in the movies and I would buy Mario Lanza's records and he said my love he would say man I love Mario Lanza and I would yeah. listen to all, I would buy his records and I would listen to Mario Lanza's record and go to every movie as many times as I could. And then I noticed that Jackie Wilson was singing almost like an operatic technique, you well, know. He put the, he did that operatic song from that uh, opera. Yeah. Come yeah. back, my darling. Yeah, but, You're gone. Yeah. <laughs> but this was even before this. I mean, yeah. I was a teenager. I was six, 17, 16. What was it like seeing Mr. Excitement on stage? Oh, he Roger. was great. Oh, well, wow. he's very, very good. And, yeah. and you know what, what really impressed me is this, is when Barry had him over to his house. Mm-hmm. And I came by to Barry's house and uh, to 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 rehearse. And then Jackie Wilson was there in the bathroom shaving and singing. I said, oh, my God, Jackie's in there. Mm-hmm. And then I was hearing Jackie Wilson. I said, man, that guy, he's better than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the way his voice was. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, my God, he's better than I thought he was. And then when he came out, you know, he was very, very nice, you know. And then Barry was boasting on me, you should, Jackie, you should hit this guy Eddie Holland. He can sing like Sam Cooke. He can sing your stuff. He, and, and, and Jackie said he can. He said, yeah, sing for him, Eddie. I said, oh, man. <laughs> what, what about somebody else we lost uh, way too young, the great Marvin? Oh, no. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we all knew Marvin Gaye well. And you guys wrote to two wonderful signature Marvin hits, Can I Get a Witness and, of course, How Sweet It Is. How Sweet It Is, yeah. 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 He was was truly one of a kind. Very, very unique individual. He was always extremely, extremely moody. Mm 
often I would see him and I would say, Marvin, what's wrong, man? What's wrong? He said, oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. And he, I could try. To, I would try to get him to talk about it. He wouldn't talk. He didn't want to talk about it. He said, oh, nothing. So who knew? What, he, he wouldn't say. He was just so introverted, you know, but very pleasant, very nice, you know. But he was always, it's like, moody. he was bothered with something. He was extremely moody. moody, you know. But Trouble, a, a troubled singer. guy. Yeah, he was troubled. He yeah. was troubled. Yeah, he was very much so. Great, great, great yeah. guy. Great singer, obviously, you know. Mm-hmm. And yes. also, don't forget now, Willie John now. The, the kid, when I was going to school, he was 14, oh, yes. 15 years old. Willie, he, John. Willie John was maybe the greatest. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, man, that guy was so good. He was 14, 15 years old. He would sing and perform like he was 35 or 40. I don't know how. He was just a gifted singer. He was gifted. Mm-hmm. There are certain singers that are good, and there are certain gifted singers. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, here's a story. I, like Gilbert is gifted. I, <laughs> I heard it oh, from the documentary, man. so you can tell me to go about fuck the story? myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, now the story is of giving a song to the receptionist at Motown. Oh, Martha. Yes. She came to audition and wound up answering Barry's phone. Yeah. Or was it right. maybe it was well, maybe it wasn't no, Barry's no, no, phone. No, no, no. Maybe Mickey, it was Mickey. Mickey made a secretary. Mickey made a secretary. Matter of fact, she was the secretary when we got to the same heat yeah, wave. Right, right. She was the secretary then. We needed somebody to that. sing the song. <laughs> and we got Martha Reed to sing the song Heat Wave. <laughs> <laughs> Did, did, did the Supremes turn down Heat Wave before no. you gave it to no. them? Okay. No. Okay. So, see, this is bullshit that's floating around on the internet. No. We got wow. to dispel Christ. these yeah. myths. Let me tell you something. Let me make it real, very, very, very clear. Barry Gordy, the way he ran his company, his Motown, is this. He would only hire certain people with certain personalities in the first place, you know, because Barry was a stickler for being able to get along with people. He felt that was important, okay? Now, I say that to say this. If a producer recorded an artist, Barry didn't allow an artist to tell the producer they're not going to sing it. He didn't want, I you see. Can, you can't do that. If you do, you better tell Barry and let Barry handle it because mm-hmm. Barry didn't like the idea of any artist telling the producer no because that would stop the flow. Mm-hmm. That would stop the creativity mm-hmm. from the producer to the artist. Mm-hmm. It would stop it mm-hmm. because then you would have producers redoing songs and say, well, I don't want to give it for this person. Or, I don't, I don't want to write for this person because they're never going to do this song. It would kill the enthusiasm. So Barry, you know, I'm glad, he, he we, was smart. I'm glad we cleared he that up. He was smart in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. That was like in the old studio system. Uh, they told an actor to do a movie, and there was no such a thing as saying no. I, I oh, I know, right? That. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Well, only, yeah. only one. I think Betty Davis and uh, Joan yeah. Crawford. They, well, mostly Betty Davis. Yeah, then Betty she had Davis, to fight yeah. him for years, yeah. and then and she had to sue him, and then she sued him for years, yeah. and blah blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? Mar- Martha was answering the phones for Mickey uh, and and winds up singing the lead on Heat Wave. Reminded yeah. me and Gilbert of when Carol King had her babysitter, oh, yeah. Lil Eva, sing the oh, locomotion. I heard yeah. about that. <laughs> Is that something? Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. At, at the risk of starting yet another another argument between you two guys, <laughs> are. Uh, is there still uh, is there still sore feelings? Are there still sore feelings about about Eddie collaborating with Norman Whitfield on "Ain't Too Proud to Beg"? Sore, sore feelings. Oh yeah, well, we, who, this, who said this, that? this is no me. 
This is what happened. Brian, <laughs> it's, Brian in the book. Brian, it's in the book. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Brian, he just, Brian doesn't remember. See, this is what happened. Uh, and I never even discussed this. This is Brian. Norman at that time was asking The great me, Norman Whitfield. The great oh, Norman yeah, Whitfield. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He was asking yeah. me to do his lyric, okay? And the fact of the matter is, is that he came to me. Oh, he'd always have me to write certain songs for him. Then he came to me doing uh, a song Ain't on Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Right. And I really didn't want to do it, you know, because when I heard it, I didn't like it. Uh, it, it, it didn't make much sense to me. There was no real lyric there. And the track, there was no real melody there. So he played the track and he kept telling me, do this and do it. I'll get a hit record. I'll get a smash because I'll, I can beat Smokey's record out on the next Temptation. I said, man, blah, 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 blah. Leave Smokey alone, Smokey, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, make a long story short. Uh, Norman came to me and said, Ed, if you write this, I could get it. I could beat him out on this release. And I listened. I said, okay, Norman, I listened to it. I listened to it. And I said, it's, it's no lyric here. I said, I said, there's one line. I think it was in the third verse. I said, here's one line here that says, ain't too proud to beg. I said, that's the only one that makes sense to me. <laughs> he said, I said, I could probably take that line and create a story around it. He said, well, do it. Do anything you want to, as long as you write it. I said, okay. And I had to take it, and I had to ad-lib the melody. There was no real melody there. I just ad-libbed through the track, and it came out good. So I did that one, two, three song. And then my brother, I, he said something. I don't know if he remembered. He came to me. He said, he said something about you. you if you when you he, made, he was sort of sarcastic, but he he just meant it. It's like he was saying if you if you if you weren't spending so much time working on Norman Whitfield's song. Maybe it was some song I was late for and had delivered something for. He said, I spent so much time on Norman Whitfield's song. So, and I just looked at him. And saw, we didn't argue about it. We didn't fight about it. But he made that statement. So I knew then that whatever I was doing, it was interfering with something he wanted me to do. You know, And that's all he said. Well, Norman's over it now. I mean, uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brian's over oh, it now. Yeah, I've been over it. Yeah, yeah. No, he didn't hold a grudge. But I tell you one thing. Actually, I felt very, very badly about it at the end of the year because Holland Ocean Holland had won Songwriter of the Year through BMI two times in a row. They would have won three times in a row if it was not for me and those three tunes I did for Norman Whitfield. How about that? So, so there I, was competition. I mean, yeah. I mean, Norm, oh, yeah. Norman Norman was directly trying to compete with Smokey, who and and the, oh, t the Temptations were, oh, yeah. were were Smokey's thing. Right. They were Smokey's right. domain. Right. Yeah. yeah. But like I yeah. said, to this day, I still say, man, you know, I, they would have won three times in a row because those three songs I did with 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 Norman made me the songwriter of the year. Mm -hmm. Because it, they took the ones I did with Holland and Dozier, then they took the ones I did with, with Norman Whitfield. So that third year, I became songwriter of the year. Gotcha. But I still felt badly about it then. I feel, bad, I feel badly about it now because I was always trying to keep and maintain the image of Holland, Dozier, and Holland. I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> I'm sorry too. <laughs> I always wanted to ask you guys this. Uh, what 
Holland Dozier Holland covers do you guys appreciate? Phil Collins' version of You Can't Hurry Love, James Taylor's cover of How Sweet It Is. Uh, Johnny Rivers did a pretty damn good version very of very Baby good. I Need Your Lovin'. Very, very, what, very good. Which, which, which one do you? Which one or ones the guy, do you guys enjoy? Well, enjoy on their own merits. Well, let me tell you, those, the guys from England. When it did, you keep me hanging on. Oh, I'll have to look that up. Brian loved that. Brian, I, thought they, I thought they did a great job. Brian, oh, Brian heard that couple years record. Yeah, yeah, Brian. Oh, when he heard I can't that, think of the group's name off I hand. can't think of the yeah. well, I can't think of it either, Brian. But you yeah. know what? I remember Brian coming to me. He said, man, you should hear this group. They did, uh, what is it? Um, you keep me hanging you on. You keep me hanging on. He said, man, you should hear the, 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 the version. Yeah. Brian was so excited yeah. about that version. Mm-hmm. Brian is never excited about too much of anything unless it's excited. He thinks is exceptional, mm. you know. And uh, but I like uh, Johnny River. I like that one Brian liked too because it was a unique, a new, unique version of it. Baby, but I, I like uh, uh, the, the the baby. I need your loving. Yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. And the way he sings. Was it himself. Vanilla Fudge? Vanilla. Oh, fudge. there you yeah, go. You there you that, go. Yeah. Oh, you looked Dude. it up, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I looked it up. Yeah. Good, good friend. Vanilla <laughs> Fudge. I don't know how we could have forgotten. Yeah, I looked it up. I cheated. No, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. No. Yeah. You James, to, James, you Taylor, James Taylor does a wonderful job with, with oh, yeah. how sweet, sweet it is. He does, he does, he does. Sweet baby James, they call it. Yep, yep. And one other question, which is sort of a, a, a life perspective question. I mean, you guys are two guys that grew up in Detroit, you know, borrowing your uncle's records, singing on street corners. <laughs> there you are in 1990, and Diana Ross is standing on the stage inducting you guys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> did, did you did you get choked up? Did you did you did you think, wow, how the hell did we get here? You know what? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The only time I was choked up and wondered how did we how did we get here. I was I was in the hallway in some kind of way they had all those awards with all the people that I have admired for years and years. And I was trying, I saw I was there by myself then, and I said to myself, how did I get here? Because I didn't think I qualified for being in the presence of all these people that I had admired for so many years. And uh, it was just like an out-of-body experience with me. And I figured that what a what what a privilege it was to be even associated with the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I knew that that was only for 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 porn, for, for for performers, you know. Right. Sure, sure. And you the uh, the other one is the Novello Award, Novello Award yeah, uh, from England. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's that's uh-huh. that's great too. But I mean, well, that, uh, well, first of all, that, that's the English top award. I know, but that's great. That's right, great. Right. musicians, not songwriters. Oh, okay, okay. Well, here's well, here's one for you. Since you brought up Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, how was it joining their company on the on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? <laughs> oh, <laughs> how did that, oh man, how did that feel? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Really great. <laughs> that was wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. my family they come in town and go to Hollywood to, just to see that star. Yeah, that that, yeah. that was really something. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but Shirley's here looking at me because she works in many in his hours, yeah. and she said that she worked sixteen, almost sixteen years on that, trying to get us that star. 
and she, and she keeps reminding me, you didn't even thank me when you were, when you were on the phone. <laughs> oh, you didn't thank Shirley? Receiving your accolades. You didn't even, <laughs> she said, you could have at least give me a shout out. But you know what? I, I, I was, I, I, I wasn't myself that day, to be perfectly honest with you. I really wasn't. And you know, but it, it was one of those things. But it was good to, to do it. You know, the only time, like I said, I've ever been excited is when I was standing from the, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's the only time. Yeah, you were you were pretty excited too, according to the book. Uh, a, a day in August, I believe, in 1963 at Motown, when you heard a booming voice coming down the hallway. You know who I'm referring to? Oh, you're talking about Dr. King. Dr. King was in the building. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. was. You, 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 you used he the was. words in awe. I was. I was. When he walked through the door, and I was in the, I can remember just like it was yesterday. Barry and I was in the recording studio, okay? And uh, I was there, and then the voice came and walking, and the door opened, and I remember he said, uh, Barry? I said, wow. When I looked and saw that man, I said, oh, wow. I can't believe it. <laughs> about that I didn't have, I mean I mean I couldn't even pinch myself enough to wake up to say give me your autograph or nothing uh-huh. I was just in awe uh-huh. <laughs> but you know it's, I, it's, I was in awe when I uh, saw Richard Pryor at Motown he was gonna sign with Motown but I don't know what happened but he was there very shy guy I mean he just you know he's just a different kind of person very different Richard Pryor. And another thing, another thing Richard I was Pryor, in yeah. awe of when yeah. Shirley introduced yeah. me to Rosa Parks. Oh Matter wow! Fact, I couldn't. I was. I, 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 man, I was so in awe. She was saying, "Why don't you take us to dinner? Take you to dinner, man." I couldn't do it. I could mm. not. I said, "Shirley, I can't do it." I just in her presence. <laughs> About that. I, I mean, I could not take. I could no, not to lunch. You want to? I couldn't do it because I. I, I mean. I was so stunned and so it was such a weird experience for me. And I looked at Rosa Parks. I didn't hardly want to speak to her. I was just in awe, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was. I'm sorry that I didn't, but man, I was. I was. I was so in awe and so impressed. I was just. If I was ever speechless or stunned, it was that, of course. that time. Yeah. Of course, she's royalty. Mm-hmm. Gilbert got to know Richard Pryor a little bit, Brian. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, I did a terrible film with him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, wow. and I didn't make it to the final cut. Oh, but, wow. But he couldn't have been, he was treating me like uh, he was a starstruck kid. <laughs> <laughs> and that he was, you know, can't believe he's meeting a big star. Wow. <laughs> he He was terrific. Oh yeah, he was. That he was. I never met him. Oh. I mean, other than at the Motown, he came in there, you know. But he didn't want to talk to nobody. He just looked away. He wasn't. He was. He was very shy. Very shy. One yeah. of a kind talent. Yeah. Oh yeah. One of a kind talent. Let's plug this wonderful book, which is coming out on audio. Shirley tells me, the the great Shirley Washington, who, by the way, we have to thank for all of this. Uh-huh. And Shirley uh, uh, put all this together. We're indebted to her and to uh, Brandon Lewis, uh, Shirley's son, who, who, who set up the tech and saved our lives uh, today. 
But uh, this book is not just a memoir uh, uh, about your guys' lives. I mean, it's a story of the period. It's a story of Barry. It's the story of the history of Motown. It's the story of history of pop music in America. Uh, it's an indispensable book. I've recommended a fair amount of books on this show, but uh, I, I cannot recommend this one enough to our listeners. Uh, come and get these memories, and we're going to plug it like crazy on social media because it's essential um, history. And, and uh, Eddie, you wanted to put a different title on it. Yeah, but I, I just didn't want to use Come and Get These Memories. I didn't know which one I wanted to use. At first I said maybe Reflections, and so, but I wasn't really sure. But uh, I'm glad that I left it like it was, you know. I, I really am. Now that, you know. Didn't you want to call it setting the record straight? At one, oh, yeah, 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 you go. <laughs> setting the record straight, absolutely. I wanted, to, I wanted to be like, what did he call it? The cold, uh, what is it, cold title? What does he call it now? You know, come and get these memories and been, and then right under it, in large print. Oh, like a subtitle. Subtitle, right. setting the yeah. record straight, I sure did. Yeah. Right. You you guys set the record straight today. <laughs> I'm gonna send you I'm gonna send you some uh, episodes where Gilbert sings. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, he is a gifted he is a gifted stylist, right, Gil? Oh, <laughs> oh yes. 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 <laughs> I, I have to thank Let Shirley. Let me say, sir, yes. first of all, I've been watching Gilbert for many, many years mm. and been laughing about his comedic style and that uh-huh. for years. Uh-huh. He's, oh, he's, not, thank new, he's you. not new to me. Uh, <laughs> how about you. that, Gil? Two fans. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I used to try to I used to I used to try to emulate it, but I couldn't quite get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. I couldn't quite Time. get the way he did. <laughs> Do an imitation of me now. I don't care. If I, could, so I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. No, I'm not going to embarrass myself. I, I've tried many times. I could not do it. Oh. <laughs> Guys, we know you have another interview. Yeah. Okay. All right. This 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 was a joy, an absolute no, joy. Great. Thank, thank you, thank you so much for all the no, pleasure you, you brought, you brought you us guys. over the decades. Yes. And can you two come back and just talk about me? Absolutely. How's Barry doing, by the way? You talk to him all the time? No, don't talk no, to him that much. He's, he's retired, okay. but he's every time I am, I try to find out how he's doing. He's okay. Yeah, you know? yeah. he's what, okay. what a great American success story. Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. There'll never be another Motown. There'll, no, never, no. Be, there'll never be anything else no. with that model. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You know, it, mm. it, 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 it is unique. It is a unique yeah. period in history and, and, and in the culture. Absolutely. He's, yeah. absolutely. He, he's a giant. You guys, you guys are such a part of history. We're really so grateful to the two of you for all the work and for sharing your time with us today. We know you're busy. All right, then. Thank okay. you very we, right, we thank thanks, you for guys. taking your masks off to do Have the interview. <laughs> and this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking to the legendary uh, members of Motown, uh, Brian Holland and Eddie Holland. I got one last question. I'm squeezing in, and I know you can't. You, it, this is like picking your children. One song, one song that you guys want to be remembered by, each of you. Brian? Oh, well, I, I, it's hard to say because I love them all. Of course. And But I would say if I had to pick one, I'll pick I Hear a Symphony. Okay, now I'll have to pick out one that wasn't as successful as the others. 
and it's Love Is Here and Now You're Gone. I love that record. Love them both. production. Thank okay, you, gentlemen. Thank, thank, you. You. thank, thank you. you. Have a great Thank one. you, Gilbert. Thank you, Frank. You've given me a true love And every day I thank you, love For feeling 